0: Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we honor you and we bless you for this opportunity to get into your word on this evening. Lord, we pray, let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked, uninterrupted, and unhindered by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that indeed that you will have your way in this service, that you would indeed speak to my vocal cords and think through my mind. I pray, Lord, none of me, all of you, pray for articulation of your heart, And for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, let's get our Bibles, if you have them. And let's turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're going to rapidly kind of get into tonight's teaching. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Over the last couple of sessions, we have been talking about... How to be led by the Spirit, and specifically talking about checking our leadings when we believe God is leading us in a certain direction. And directly, we've been talking in terms of how things get on the inside of our heart. I want to make some notation of this. This is in uh, a book that I believe everyone should absolutely read by Dr. Miles Monroe. Uh, uh, It is called The The Power and Character of Leadership, The Power and Character of Leadership is a phenomenal book. It is a must read for anyone that's in leadership in this church. But one of the things he indicates in this book, he says, is that our beliefs lead to our convictions. Our beliefs lead to our convictions. Our convictions produce our values and our values form our morals or principles. Our morals or our principles. And then he says, our morals and principles also prompt us to exercise personal discipline for the purpose of remaining aligned with our convictions. Again, one of the reasons why people struggle in regards to keeping the commandments of God is because it's not become a place of conviction for you yet. One of the issues that people have is they're trying to do all of the things that Christianity says that you should be without having the heart of Christianity, which is the heart of God concerning that area. That my work, everything that I'm doing, is to please my Heavenly Father. The reason why I don't do this, the way I abstain from that, is because of a conviction that one, God loves me, and number two, I have a desire, a heart desire, to please Him. He goes on and he says this. He says that our conduct and discipline or discipline actions manifest as our ethics. Ethics are a moral principle. They are a theory. They are a system of moral values, morals or values. I remember when I was at Shaw University, they began the new program when I first got there called ethics. And I remember I had a discussion with one of my professors at the time. I said, hey, man, listen, Uh, you know, I was, you know. Just got born again a couple years ago. Just got filled with the Holy Spirit right before I went to college. And um, one of the things that that I was asking one of my professors was, hey, hey, listen, why are we teaching ethics and we're not teaching conversion? Why are we not teaching people they need to be born again? Otherwise, we're just teaching them to act right, but their heart's not right. And I remember at the time it was my professor, Dr. Broadway, he looked at me and he said, Well, you know, that's that's true. And I don't really have a good answer for you. And uh, and um, and and we we became, you know, you know, good good associates at that time because he, you know, I was a young freshman and he knew that I was really serious about the things of God. Our ethics and our conduct manifest as a result of our convictions. It's not supposed to be the other way around. The reason why I do right, live right, is because of a conviction for and with God. Our ethics result in our character, and our character, therefore, determines our lifestyle. So he says our convictions produce our values, our values produce our morals, our morals produce the things that we will exercise discipline with. And then that discipline that we exercise in our life becomes our ethics. And our ethics that we live by therefore become our character. And then our character becomes our lifestyle. Sounds very similar to the other thing that I indicated to you on Sunday and this past Thursday. I just want to say this of different, different ways so that we can just get the concept. The concept is everything begins with the heart. What's in on the inside of your heart produces the life that you are living. Most people want to change the actions, but you got to change what's on the inside of me. And where did it come from? This way of thinking, this way of thinking about life, this way of thinking about the world, this way of thinking about my family, this way of thinking about my husband, my wife, this way of thinking about everything. How did it come or where did it come from? Did it come from God or did it come from somewhere else? And it's something that we should be consistently examining. He says, values produce principles. Produce guiding principles which determines procedures. Values produce guiding principles which determine procedures. All right. Luke chapter 14 and verse 28. Okay.
1: For which? of you intend to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it
0: is it good all right the Amplified says the same scripture it says which of you who wants to build a watchtower and his guards does not first sit down and calculate the cost the context here, Jesus is talking to those that want to be his disciples. What was going on is a large crowd followed Jesus. And Jesus basically turns to them and tells them, you really want to follow me? Because it's going to cost you something. And then he uses this analogy. If you're getting ready to, in fact, build a house, which or a tower, as he says, which one of you, if you're going to do that, do you first count the cost to see whether or not you have enough to be able to produce that thing? He says, when you're following me, essentially, we should assess where we are in our faith. Do you have enough to be able to follow him? Have I developed in my faith? Again, using that analogy that I just said a few minutes ago. Yes, you might have heard somebody else. They did this. Is my faith on that particular level or not? And we should know that. You should know where you are in your faith. It's an amazing thing when you feel prompted of the Holy Spirit to do certain things. Is always on your level. He's never going to prompt you to do something that you don't have the faith to do. Now, who will is, again, as I said before, the devil will. He will push you to put yourself out there before the proper time. Let's look over here at Matthew chapter 14. Since I lost my reader, I'll read it. (laughs) You got it? Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. I know that's not on the notes at all. That's why I'm making reference. Ready?
1: Read. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you little thief, why do you doubt?
0: Very good. Again, for the sake of time, the scenario, we all remember the story of Peter. Peter steps out of the boat. Jesus, he, he sees Jesus walking on the water, and he says, Lord, if it be you, if it be you, bid me to come to you. Well, two things about that is that Jesus, he says, he says in verse 29, and he said, come. And when Peter went down and stepped out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, what in the world is Jesus going to say? He said, Peter is not me. Peter asked something of Jesus that really the only answer that Jesus could give at that particular time was come. And so he gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. But apparently he's not ready for water walking faith. Not all, all, the whole time. Now watch this, verse 30 says, But he saw the wind, boisterous, and he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now thank God that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Even when he stumbles, the Lord upholds him. But as, as, as Raymond just read, he says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and, and caught him. And said unto him, Old thou knowest the term in the King James of little faith. It wasn't that he did not have faith. It's that he had a little or the quantity of his faith was small. He had enough faith to believe or walk on the word of God. But he not developed to the point where he only concentrated on what Jesus said over the circumstances. And we can ask ourselves in our own life. When God calls us to certain things, where is God in my concentration level? Do I concentrate on what he says and I, and I render every other word secondary to the voice of God? Or do I concentrate on what he says and mix a little bit of the world or the circumstances of the situation in with what he said for me to do? That is what produces little faith. He stamps out on the word, come. That's all Jesus said, come. He walks on the water. But when he saw the circumstances, it begins to speak louder to him because he changed his attention from what Jesus said and he started concentrating on the other stuff. That sounds very similar to he allowed other things to get into his heart. And the moment that began to happen, he began to sink. And so the question we always have to ask ourselves, it's not that that you didn't hear It's not that you've not been walking. Am I protecting and guarding my heart so all this other stuff that has nothing to do with what Jesus says does not penetrate my heart so that I don't continue or I lose my footing and my step to walk where he tells me to go. What in the world does the wind have to do with whether or not you can walk on the water? What in the world does the waves or the storms have to do with what Jesus said? Because if that be the case, really what Peter should have thought, I heard another minister say this, Peter, if if you want to follow logic, he should have said to himself, Okay, the key to walking on the water is to not do it when it's calm. It's to do it when it's stormy. That would be the logical thing to do. Or that would be the logical thing that we would gather by him walking on the water. But no, Peter was concentrated on all this other stuff that had nothing to do with his water walking ability. And sometimes in our life, once again, we start concentrating on this and that. And we miss the fact, you're already walking. You're already walking on an impossible situation right now. And so what the devil a lot of times shows you, he shows you all the other stuff that you don't know about. He said, concentrate on this, concentrate on that. Look over here, look over at that, look it over here. Ain't none of that got to do with what's going on right now. I'm already walking. And if I continue to do what I'm doing on this step, I will continue to walk. Let's look at one more scripture really quick. If my reader wants to read in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 12. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 12. And then we'll get started on tonight's teaching. You got it? First Timothy, not Second Timothy. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 12. Why are you getting that? I said this on Sunday and I want to repeat this again. Smith Wigglesworth Says something, he's a great man of faith from the early 19th century. He says something that I enjoyed. I think it's really good. He says, Great faith is the product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. Great triumphs can only come out of great trials. There's a movie that's getting ready to come out that I'm interested in. I'm not promoting it one way or the other. Uh, I think it's called King Richard. It's a story of Venus and Serena Williams. It it focuses largely on the father and his tenacity to believe that his two little girls from Compton, California, were going to be the next superstars in the world of tennis. Great faith. There are so many times in his life and in their life they were told they weren't the right color or they didn't have the right money. They didn't have the right this or that or the other thing. But their tenacity to just believe that they had something ushered them to continue to move forward. Well, what is that tenacity? It is conviction. Ready? Read. Hmm? Wow. 6 in verse 12. This is an Irwin Center Bible study. This is what it used to look like. Verse 12. Fight Fight a good fight
1: fight
0: the good fight of faith there you go Stay
1: hold on eternal life to which you were also called
0: very good fight, fight
1: of many witnesses
0: thank you amen fight the good fight of faith it's interesting that Paul will say that to Timothy Timothy is his young protégé he's getting ready to get out into ministry and And Paul says something that's very distinct. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, it's a good fight because you're supposed to win. It's a good fight because you're going to win if you stay in faith. Fighting the good fight of faith, just like Peter. If Peter had concentrated on what Jesus said only and not the circumstances, this is where the fight is. Because because I'm in faith does not mean that I'm unaware of the current circumstances that I'm facing. Because I'm in faith does not mean that I'm unaware of the flight of my circumstances or the situation of my account, etc. Fighting the good fight of faith means I fight to believe God despite the circumstances that speak to me that contradict what he said. Now. Let's look at this over in Romans chapter 12, I mean 4 and verse 17. So we see with Peter, he says, O ye of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? Now Romans chapter uh, 4 and verse 17 says, As it is written out the King James, I have made thee a father of many nations before thee whom he believed, even God who quicketh the dead and calleth things that be not as though they were. Verse number 18 it says, Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according uh, to that which is written, so shall thy seed be. So he's talking about Abraham. Abraham believed in hope that he might be the father of many nations. Against hope. Well, all hope in his situation said it was a hopeless situation. So he hoped against that hope. He believed against the current situation and the circumstances that he was faced with. Verse 19 says this, And being not weak in faith, he considered not. His own body now dead. When he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. So Sarah was having an area of infertility. God said, you're going to have a baby. The natural circumstances says, you're too old, it's not going to happen, it ain't never happened, but you hear what God said. What What the scripture says, he considered not his own body. His own body was dead too, he was old. But God said one thing, the fact says something different. He has to figure out, who am I going to believe? That word from God Or am I going to believe this natural situation or this circumstance that I'm faced with? He considered not his own body, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now watch this, verse 20. He staggered not at the promises of God through, watch the word, unbelief. But was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. Now, this scripture used to bother me because I am familiar with Abraham's story. And we're going to look at that a little bit tonight. Abraham staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. When I look in the Bible, Bible and I see, he seems to struggle all the time. Lord, 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 don't you see that I, I'm having a problem? Lord Jesus, you know, seeing how about Eliezer? Lord, how about, how about uh, Ishmael? Can you, can, you, can you just bless him? And one the key area here is he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. Unbelief is not doubt. Unbelief is having a different conviction. It is having a different belief system other than what God said. It is believing the circumstances over what God says and I believe it as a core belief system. In other words, unbelief is something that you always have to repent from. I've talked with people over the years and one of the things I've seen is that when you say, well, listen, you know, the Bible says this. They say, yeah, Reverend, but this is what I believe. Well, what you're showing me is that you are a person that has moved away from believing what God says because it has no point of entry in your heart. This is what it means to have a hardened heart where the word is concerned. I don't believe it. I don't believe what God says. I don't believe, yeah, I I see it's in the Bible and all that, but I don't believe that's what unbelief is. It has to be repented of. And the Bible says he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. But he did stagger at the promises of God from time to time in this area of doubt. Doubt is when you are walking on your level and you, you look, you know, I believe what you said, Lord, but Lord Jesus. I believe what you said, Lord. And I gotta. Continue to concentrate on what he said because if I allow these other things to get in on the inside of me, this doubt will grow and become an area of unbelief. Let's look at this really quick. Abraham is our template of faith and trust. Abraham is our template of faith and trust. We've said in the past, assurance is personal conviction, convictions grow through. Trust. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. So when I'm assessing the risk reward as to whether or not God's leading me in a certain direction, it comes through steps and stages. God's never going to ask me to do something that's beyond my faith level. Well, how do I begin to develop in my faith level with God? It begins with me developing in this essential area of trust in this relationship with God. Well, the Bible says that Abram staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. Well, Abram, he becomes a template for us because he begins to show us this is how you do it. Because God does not ask, we know the story of Abram, God doesn't ask Abram uh, in year number 75, he gives him a son at 76 and say, okay, take your son up the mountain and I want you to uh, sacrifice your son." He don't do that. Because he knew if he gave Abraham a son at 76 and then asked him to do this, Abraham would be like, "No, I'm good. I won't do that." His faith wouldn't develop. So God takes Abraham on a journey of development in this area of trust so that when the day comes that God asks him to do something for the sake of covenant, he doesn't even stagger at it. He just goes ahead and he says, son, come on, we got to go up the mountain and worship and we're going to return home because he developed in this relationship. But let's look at this, how it all begins. You've seen those things on Facebook, how it begins and how it's going. This is kind of what I want you to look at today. Where am I in my faith? Am I developing in my faith? And how is it going? Genesis chapter 12 and verse number one. Ready, read.
1: Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed.
0: Okay, very good. Thank you. So, notice as we have on the board here. He says, "The Lord said, So who is the one that initiates this relationship? The Lord. Lord It's not a trick question. God is the one that initiates the relationship. Not not Abram. God is the one that starts it. The thing that you are engaged with, can you trace it back to a word from God? This area, this job, this location. Can I trace it back to a word from God? And if the answer is no... You got to start asking yourself, well, how did I get here? (laughs) Where did this come from? Is God directing my steps, or am I asking God to bless the steps as I direct my own life? He says, the Lord said unto Abram, get thee from thy country. It began with God. It began with the word. Get thee from thy own country, from thy own kindred. Now watch this verse number two. And he says, because your response to me. Because you're obeying what I say, I will. And that's a key element that we got to understand as well. When you are moving in the divine assignment, God says, You've authorized me to be able to. When you step, when I tell you to go, I will. When you ask me, Hey, hey, Lord, bless this. He said, Well, I ain't going to bless that. I didn't tell you to go there. I didn't see you to that job. I didn't see you to that house. I didn't see that location. Quit talking to me about I will because you ain't start with me. So essentially what begins to happen is you, you're in a position where you say, I will have to bless myself and then say God is doing something because I didn't start from a word. Can I trace what I'm doing back to a word from God? Abram is in a position that he says, okay, I start with God. God says, I will make thee a great nation. Why? Because it started with me. He says, I will bless them that bless thee. He goes on, verse number three, I will curse them that curse thee. Why? Because everything starts with him. Now, from Abraham's standpoint, because we're talking about assessing the risk-reward, From Abraham's standpoint, God talks to him and says, leave. Risk, as we said before, is is an area where something might happen that causes difficulty or damage. Now notice when God speaks to Abram first, the risk is rather minimum. He says, leave your home. Leave your family. Home represents a predetermined life and lifestyle. It represents a place of comfort. It represents a place of normacy, routine, or the status quo. He says, leave this. And I submit to you, anything that God calls you to do is always going to require you leaving the status quo. If you're going to really do the thing that God's called you to do, then if you want to be average, you're not going to follow God. Because he's always going to call you from, a mile, uh, uh, from out of the norm to a place that he determines. He's also going to call you to a lifestyle. Family represents a social, psychological connectivity. A place of acceptance or love. he says, leave him. Now, one of the things you'll notice because, uh, as it says in chapter number 13, that he took his nephew with him. Now, last I checked, a nephew was a family member. Isn't that right? So, evidently, Abram, when he begins walking with God, He wasn't quite all the way there yet. He believes God to a point, but he says, Lot, Lot, come on, let's go. Let's go together. He says, leave your family, your kindred, leave all of that and follow me. Abram's not comfortable with God quite yet because he's not willing to leave everybody. Not yet. Now watch this. The leave or the word leave essentially is minimum. The risk element here is minimum. Why? Because Abram can always get back on his donkey. He can pack Sarah back up and return home. Go to the place where I'll sing you. The risk is rather minimum. If it doesn't work out, it's all good. You know, I go back home, like the rest of us. Hey, what happened to you? Well, we, were, we decided to follow the Lord and it didn't work. He can return home. The risk is minimum. But watch this, though. And this is how it is. This is the template. The reward, though, is I have everything to gain but the risk is minimum. When God first begins to prompt you in your spirit to go in a certain direction, you have everything to gain, the risk is minimum. He teaches us this way so that, yeah, the next step he asks you to take, you begin to step even more firm because you saw God move. When he's training us in developing us in this area of being responsive to him, he always starts you on a lower level. And he says, "Okay, it's going to happen real quick for you. You're going to see some things manifest real quick because I'm developing you. And we see that with Abram in his story. That if you turn over to chapter 13, the blessing of the Lord shows up almost immediately on his life. It begins to manifest. The reward for Abram was God's direction of my path or his path. God started it, so he now directs my path. Make He makes... Uh, okay. Okay. He blesses him, so he makes him notable and remarkable. This is what I was saying. (laughs) He makes his name notable and remarkable. Everything to gain, nothing to lose. He confers favor or the blessing on him by association. He says, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And he says, I am the one that will defend you. That is, I will curse them that curse you. Everything that God tells Abram in the beginning is nothing but gain by just simply following him. Now, I want you to notice this. God always calls you from a former lifestyle, though. He always calls you from a former lifestyle. Yeah, he might have found you smoking and dope. He ain't going to leave that way. He might have found you a person bitter and and just couldn't forgive. A person that was the most revengeful person you ever seen in your life. But if you follow him long enough, he says, I'm going to call you out of that former lifestyle. He always calls us from out of darkness into the marvelous light. He always does. The call of God is always going to be to call you from the status quo to embrace his lifestyle. He always calls you out of your comfort zone. If I'm not being challenged or if I'm the biggest fish around, everybody comes to me. Perhaps I'm in the wrong pond because maybe I've, I've outgrown that particular area. You know there should be some traceable places in your life where you feel like you ain't too bright. Around you know I get around certain ministers I feel like I ain't never read the Bible. I'm like Lord Jesus I, let me let me just you know let me, now I, you know Anthony you got something no no I'm good. There should be some places and positions in your life where you feel a little bit uncomfortable because you are being challenged to grow. God's call always is from out to break you into something new. It's always out of something to break you into something new. But the thing is that we always got to understand is that God's call is always a choice. It's always your choice. God said to Abraham, follow me and I'm going to make it worth your while. Abraham could have said, no, I got a good where I am. What are you talking about? I don't do that. We don't even know you like that. Anything God calls you to, it's always your choice. When you feel like God is prompting you to go a certain direction, when you feel like God is leading you in a certain direction, it's always your choice. And God has a tendency, He, he like I said, He don't push you down. If God tells you something small like, I want you to go to the grocery store, and instead of going at 8 o'clock, just go at 9 o'clock. You say, well, that's rather simple, that's something small. Right, that's on your level. He didn't tell you everything that goes along with it. He just sometimes wants to see will you be willing to do simple obedience? So that he can develop you so that the next thing that he says is on a different level. God starts with the small stuff. You have everything to gain and the loss is minimum. Or the risk, if you will, is minimum. Because it's based on where your relationship currently is. Now watch this. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9.
1: First Peter.
0: <laughs> First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. All right. I remember uh, when we were at the Irwin Center years ago. We did the Bible challenge. It looks like we may need to do that again. The Bible challenge for our young people. Those that remembereth the word of God will see a payday. We may look at that again. Amen. Amen. Got it? Chapter 2 and verse number 9. Amen. When in doubt, read the board. Ready? Read.
1: But ye are chosen generation, a royal, pristine priesthood and holy nation, and particular people,
0: peculiar people,
1: peculiar people that ye should chew for the praises of him, who hath called you out of darkness into his
0: marvelous light. All right, wonderful. A familiar scripture. Let's look at this in the Passion. I'll read this for the sake of time. The Passion translate. we're familiar with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to this out of the Passion. He says, but you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He calls you out of darkness, to experience his marvelous light and now he claims you as his very own he did this so that you would broadcast notice the word broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world he did this for a purpose you are saved for a purpose you are here for a purpose and one of the things i mean i've always said this it might sound a little vulgar to some degree if the ultimate goal was to get all the Christians to heaven the day you get born again it seems like you just dropped dead that way you got to worry about sin no more you're about as holy as you ever going to be because you ain't never messed up so just go to heaven that day it almost you get the impression that if you think of it in this turn the way sometimes we teach it is if it's all about fire insurance then every pastor when we have an altar car we almost have a pistol so that you know you can go ahead and get there Or perhaps the day you get born again, now you're qualified for kingdom assignment. Now he wants to develop you in a relationship so that you can fulfill a divine, deployed assignment here on the earth. He said, I called you out so that you can broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. I'm supposed to make a difference. My life is supposed to make a difference. The call originally to Abraham was not just about him and Sarah. It is about me and you and everybody else that will come as a result of his obedience. What is my yes to God connected to? What is my sacrifice connected to? What is the thing that you say, I, since God is leading me in this direction, how many people are attached to your yes so oftentimes the circumstances of the situation begin to cloud our minds and makes us think that, no, I'm just going through or no, I don't know if I can do that. And we don't see the fact that God said, if you would just follow me, I got at least 20 or 30 people that's attached to your one yes to broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Back over to Romans chapter 4 and verse 20 and we'll close here. He says, he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. Notice the term, giving glory to God. Strong faith gives glory to God. Sounds like strong conviction gives glory to God. Strong faith gives glory to God. Therefore, we can even say it just like it said over in Peter. Strong faith broadcasts his wonders throughout the world. One more scripture. I said that was it, but I'm not. One more, one more. If you got time for one more. Let's look at this in the Passion Translation for the sake of time. Strong faith gives glory to God. It says in verse 17. So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony. Well, you say, I got strong faith, but you ain't doing nothing. The call to Abraham, you got to do something. Abraham could say, yes, God, I hear what you're saying. And stay right where he was, where his faith is not authentic. Because the faith that is he's talking in regards to has everything to do with you doing your part and God doing his part. He says, so then faith that does not involve action is phony, verse number 18. But someone might object and say, one person has faith and another person has works. Go ahead then and prove to me that you have faith without works and I will show you uh, faith by my works as proof that I believe. Again. In my life, the thing that I'm currently engaged with, can I trace it back to a word from God? The job that I applied for, can I can I trace it back to a word from God? I'll tell you, you know, my current job is one of the not the only time this has ever happened to me. I was in the interview. I was already tired, and. Uh, because I had applied for this particular job that I have multiple times. I interviewed in different places. I interviewed down in Wilmington for the job. I interviewed up in Durham for the job, in Greensboro for the job. Because I felt like that—that that I was supposed to have the job. And then one day I got a call for the job out in Shelby. And I was a little annoyed at that point in time because I was like, you know how many times I've applied for this job. I felt like the Lord wanted me in this job for that particular season. And I was just like, Lord, what's going on? Why is this not working? But I went in for this particular interview, and like I said, I was already a little bit annoyed because everybody said all these wonderful things at these other places and how we think you're a great person, but we essentially ain't going to hire you. And I went in for this interview, and something happened. I felt the same kind of annoying I would like I was preaching. I was talking, and I said something, I, I, you know, you know, not to say we move by feeling, but I felt, I felt an unction. I said, well, what's going on here? And I remember it wasn't too long after that that I got that particular job. The reason why all the other ones didn't work is because it was required at that time for me to move my family and relocate them to different places so I could do the job over there. God knew that that job was available for me over here that would put me in the position where we would now have to come to Gastonia and Gaston County all the time to be able to get to that job. I didn't see it at the time that everything had to do with being connected to the church. I mean, as bright as I am, dear God, the first place that God put us when we moved back to the Charlotte area, he put us on the first house was on Gaston Street or Gaston Avenue. It's like God was saying something back then, but I didn't want to hear it because that's not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be where I wanted to be, but God was already showing little by little, I'm going to move you in the right place. Little by little, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Why am I saying this? Your yes to God. Your yes right now on that particular level has a connectivity that you can't see, but God can. And so the reason why God says, I want you to take this step and I want you to build in this area of your conviction is because where I'm taking you, I want to be able to say in a crowd, in the midst of everything going wrong, a word, and you will believe me over what you see. You will believe that I can take care of your funding more than any other circumstance. I, you believe that I can take care of your family when everything else looks like it's going south. Because we develop in our relationship so that you trust my word. The steps of a good man, the steps of a good woman are ordered by the Lord. Don't deny the day of small beginnings take the steps and learn on the journey I'm just walking with dad and he's showing me how to grow in this he's teaching me something on the level that I'm on right now yeah he showed you the big thing his big vision but the level that I'm on right now am I missing what God's teaching am I missing the small promptings that lead to the big reward let's pray father in the authority of the name of Jesus I give you praise and I give you honor for tonight's Bible study. Lord, we choose to trust you and believe you, Lord. Lord, we'll not despise the day of small beginnings. But we thank you, Lord, that your reward is great. And the biggest thing about the reward, Lord, is connected to people that's attached to your heart. And so, Lord, every day, daily, Lord, even the the areas where we think it's so small, God, we decide to say yes. We decide to go where you tell us to go. Knowing you, Lord, that that somebody is connected to our yes. Somebody perhaps needs to see us operate in light in the midst of a dark place. Someone needs to see a reflection of your glory in a place where they haven't seen it. They've only seen religion. So, Lord, we decide as an act of our will, God, to say yes daily. To trust you daily. To lean on you daily. And we thank you, Lord, as we do so. All is well, all will be well, and we rest in your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.